For the reverence of reading God's word, I want to bring a scripture to you that I'll be honest with you, as crazy as it seems, I don't think I've ever preached. When I read the scripture, you're going to be like, hey, no way, bro. Yeah. Because the scripture in which I'm about to bring to you is one that has been tattooed on more people than probably any scripture. It's been a scripture that most people that ain't even in church can at least quote some of. But I've never preached it. I've, I've, I've had it in messages, but it's never been the centrality or the text of the message. But as I began to study into it this week, I, began, I believe the Lord began to show me some things that honestly I've never heard it preached like this. And so I just want to share it with you, share it with you the revelation. And I want to be honest with you. I, I posted a Facebook post about a week ago that I said God took Jonah in rebellion and sent him to Nineveh to preach a message against rebellion. And what we find is a lot of times is where, where the preacher is, you don't need to ask him, you just need to listen to his messages. And I have found out that in my life, transparency is key. Watch this, is a key for many people's deliverance. That if I'll just allow for you to listen in on what God's been telling me, I found out that everybody that's connected to me all of a sudden gets free. Come on, somebody. I found out that if God's telling it to me, then there's a good chance that it's conducive for your experience with Christ. Amen. Recently, let's just go to the text. Let's just go to the text. Psalms 23 and verse 1. Psalms 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And I lack y'all saying y'all say nothing. I say it this way. No thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet waters. And he refreshes my soul. And he guides me all along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkness, darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, surely, who surely? I don't know, but she got something with her. Surely, your goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that collectively as a congregation, as we gather around your word, it will be light. That the same man that penned the words of Psalms 23 would also utter the words that your word is a lamp unto our feet for our darkened path. Father, we pray this morning that we would relinquish and let go of some things that we could receive the fullness of what you've called us to. Father, we thank you today that it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Father, I'm a mere marred man. But God, I desire to be the conduit of heaven in which your word can flow through this morning. Use me, anoint me, speak through me. But God, let it land on the soil of your people's hearts that they may hear the word 
and be refreshed by it. In Jesus' mighty name. I want you to turn to three people before you sit down and say these words. I'm out of control. I'm out of control. I'm out of control. Some of y'all are going to leave this church service today. You're going to be like, them jokers are out of control. You know, I believe one of the greatest statements of Psalms 23 is found in verse 1 where David arrives at a place in his life and he utters these words, the Lord is my shepherd. See, I think, I think it's powerful, but yet I think it's, it's a cry of dependency that David would arrive at a place in his life where he could not utter but the words, the Lord is my shepherd. He arrives at a place in his life where he had been overlooked and he had been despised. He had been rejected. He had been anointed. He had been called into the courts of Saul to play the harp and he had slayed Goliath and he had walked among uh, to become the king of Israel and all these places. And now here it's in this moment in Psalms 23 where I feel like David would look back over his life, just a shepherd boy, just somebody that used to hang out on the backside of a field, just somebody that all he knew was smelly sheep just somebody that felt like he would always be overlooked and here he is he's standing in the courtroom and the throne room of Jerusalem one of the most powerful kingdoms and he utters the words of Psalms 23 the Lord is my shepherd what was he saying he was saying there is no way that I got me here oh yeah 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 See, there was no way that in myself I could have gotten me here, is what David was saying. David was saying that there was one who went before me. There was one who stuck close to me. There was one that was with me. And he said it in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What was he saying? I'm not alone. Matter of fact, but watch this, not only am I not alone, I'm not in control. Amen. See, and as I was preparing this message, the Spirit of God began to show me some things that there are people here today under the sound of my voice, and you are in a tailspin spiritually. I literally saw like an airplane going down, mayday, 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 and God wanted me to come with this word to tell you that your plane won't pull up until you let go of the controls. Some of the most powerful moments of our life are when we arrive at a place that we say, God, I can't do it in myself. I need you to take control. See, the greatest place as a person and a follower of Christ that you can arrive at is when you can utter the words, the Lord is my shepherd. I believe as a follower of Christ, when you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, what you are saying is, I am out of control. I am not in control. I am not in, I'm not the one that's manipulating. I'm not the one moving. I am a sheep in the shepherd's head control. I am, I am not on my own plan. I'm not on my own course. Oh, come on. I feel that devil in here. I'm going to run it around this room and then stand on its neck. There are some of you that are mad because things didn't work out the way you wanted them to work out. There are some of you that are disappointed because you had plans. You had dreams. But what has happened now is you are finding out 
shout that the Lord is your shepherd. He is leading you. Oh, he is leading you in ways that you never thought were possible. The Lord is my shepherd. See, it's in this place where we understand that the Lord is our shepherd that you have to first understand in order for the Lord to be your shepherd, you have to forfeit control. Let's be honest, none of us like to be out of control. And if the truth really be told, a lot of us, if we could, you know, have rooms of confession, we would say we're control freaks. It's the adversity in many marriages. It's the resistance in many families. It's the disappointment in many jobs. What? It's all about control. It even happens in ministries. Come on, people. See, if the truth really be told is we don't like to be out of control, but we will never arrive at the fruition of Psalms 23 until we can utter the words of David that said, I am out of control. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. See, the job of the shepherd is to lead the sheep. Now watch this. The job of the sheep is to follow the shepherd's voice. The shepherd's job is to lead the sheep. But the sheep's job is to listen to his voice. See, I think a lot of times we're okay following as long as we follow without instruction. <laughs> Jesus said, come follow me. We're okay with the walking part. It's the word part that we have a problem with. We're okay going for a walk until he tells us what we need to be doing. (laughs) See, we're okay with the journey, but we despise the moment when it comes with instruction. Now we're no longer taking a walk, but it's a walk with some weight. (laughs) I'm not talking about the W-A-I-T. I'm talking about the heavy weight. Amen. See, we live in a society that teaches us we have to be in control of everything. We have to be in control of our schedule, our finances, our home, our job, our business, our children. What if I propose to you today, though, that God is not looking for you to be in control? (laughs) He is asking you to allow him to be in control in order for him to come into control. You have to get out of control. Okay, 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 okay. Jeremiah 29, 11, let me break it down for you. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Here's our problem. Jeremiah 29 says that he knows the plans. Ready for this major revelation? If you're taking notes, write it down. He knows the plans. You ready for this revelation? He knows the plans. You ready for this? He knows the plans. That means you don't. And much of the resistance in the life of the believer is in the obtaining of the Jeremiah 29, 11 factor. That he knows the plans, but we don't. And part of the process is trusting, according to Romans 8 and 28, that he is causing all things to work together for the good of those that love him and call according to his purposes. And so we have to understand that he knows the plans, but we don't. Try telling a control freak, hey, you're going somewhere. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. Well, what's it going to look like? Ah, you'll see it when we get there. 
Well, how long are we going? That's a good journey. Well, I mean, is it good? It will be. Try telling a control freak those directions to a journey and see how many people you get signed up. And if you're new to this thing or if you aren't saved and you're here today, I want you to know that this walk of a Christian is not a magic carpet ride. It's not painted with rose petals and, and, and bright colors. Come on, somebody. It's, it, there's, Paul said it this way. We are hard-pressed on every side. And you'll find out, like Abraham in Hebrews 11, that Abraham, by faith, journeyed to a land that he didn't know where he was going. What do you mean? How do you get to a place where you don't know where you're going? By walking. God was like, hey, walk this way. And he just started walking. And God called that faith. Watch this. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't have the direction. God didn't give him the coordinates. God didn't say, hey, it's going to look like this. You're going to encounter this. This is going to happen with Lot when y'all get to Sodom and Gomorrah. And see, the truth of it is, a lot of us, we want it painted out point by point by point. It's the reason why we like the preacher preaching by points. So we can follow along. And then we can say, yeah, if we get this part right, this part happens and then this part happens. But God is not a preacher that preaches by points because you are the point. He's trying to make. And if we just follow him in the relinquishing of our control, he is the shepherd. His job is to lead the sheep. The sheep's job is to follow his voice. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be driving a car and not know where we're going. You want to frustrate some people? You ready? Watch. I'm going to make some church people really mad. You want to make people mad today? Dads, husbands, come on. You want to make your wife really mad? You want to get throat punched? You want to get karate chopped? I'm going to show you how right after service. You ready? Get in the car, and when she says these words, where are we going to lunch today? Say this. Yeah, I don't know. And just start driving. And when you're driven for about 15 minutes, and she says, so what did you decide? Eh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Just keep driving. And then drive for about another 30 minutes, head towards Columbia. Get on I-20. Put it in the wind. Turn the radio on. So, you must be taking us somewhere special today, huh? Yeah, you'll figure it out when we get there. And after you've driven to Augusta, and she's hangry. So, honey, where are we? Oh, just stop at McDonald's. No, 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 we're going somewhere really special today. You know, the truth of it is, as funny and com as, as comedy as that sounds, that is what it's like in getting in the vehicle with Jesus and saying, like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. When he takes the wheel, we're riding, we're saying, okay, where are we going? He's like, ah, we're, we're going to get there. Oh, you must be taking us somewhere really special. He's like, yeah, just hold on. And all of a sudden, you on 20, you two hours in the ride, and you're like, all right, God, what are you doing? And what we find out is that we are not in control. The Lord is my shepherd. See, when we live a life that demands we are in complete control, we are telling God to take the back seat. And what, is, what will happen is we will arrive at our destination, but not God's. What we are saying is, hey God, we've got it. But here's the problem. God's got the map. 
God's got the map. And until we render control of our lives to a God who is in complete control, until we surrender our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, we, we will never arrive at a place where God says, this is the appointed place. This is the appointed time. This is the thing that I was preparing for you all along. Because until we can take a back seat and say, Jesus, you just drive. Take my family. Take my marriage. Take my business. Take my ministry. I'm just, an, I'm just here for the ride. I wonder how many of us have showed up at destinations that we drove to and we say, look where God got us. So I want to give you three P's to getting out of control. You ready? You, you get these three P's, you get out of control. And then I want to give you six things that will happen when you get out of control, all from Psalms 23. The first thing to get out of control in your life. You ready? Number one is you got to get out of control in power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, but Jesus speaking to Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Watch this. For my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Can I tell you something in order for you to get out of control? You've got to quit thinking about being in control and having the power. Watch this, in this kingdom, you don't rise to power by your power, you rise to power by weakness. See, this is an upside down kingdom. In this kingdom, you give to get. In this kingdom, you die to live. In this kingdom, you get down to go up. Woo, come on somebody. But in this kingdom, in this kingdom, in this kingdom, you learn how to get weak to become strong. See, and if we are truly going to get out of control and allow God to have complete control, we have to quit fascinating ourselves with the idea of being in power. Submission is the key to the mission. If you want to live your life for the glory of God, watch this. Learn how to get out of the way. Learn how to dethrone your heart. Learn how to dethrone your ideas. Learn how to dethrone your dreams. Learn how to dethrone your plans. Learn to dethrone your power and say, God, I don't want anything of mine or manufactured by man. I want what you've got for me. The greatest battle of control is thinking that you constantly need to be in control. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Get free from thinking that you have to be in control. David arrived at a place where he was powerless, but yet faithful. David comes to the valley, and he finds standing before him an uncircumcised Philistine giant who is taunting the armies of the living God. David in himself is weak. David in the measuring of warriors would look as though a child. David was a child, 14 some years old is, what, uh, is biblically what they uh, determine his age to be at this time. What am I saying? That David was weak, but David gained strength when he uttered these words. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm not coming by my might. I'm not coming by my power, but I am coming by the name of the Lord. And we know the story that David slings a stone 
and Goliath falls flat on his face. He takes the sword of Goliath and he cuts his head off. What was the key? I'll tell you how. David didn't look for power. He knew who the powerful one was. Listen to me, some of you, when you get out of control, when you get rid of the idea of feeling like you got to have your hands on everything and be in control of everything and feel all powerful and until you surrender and you submit everything to God and say, you know what, God, I'm just along for the ride. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm okay with it. Where you go, I'm just along for the ride. I don't need to be in control, God. It's all good as long as it's you driving. The second thing, the second thing that we need to get rid of. You ready? You ready? You ready? To get rid of, to get out of control, is we need to get free from some people. Watch, watch, watch. We need to get free from the idea of thinking, watch this. Not only is God wanting you to surrender control of your life, He wants you to surrender control of relationships. Watch this. And He wants you, my God, I'm going to help some people out today. He wants you to surrender control of everybody's life that you think you're in control of. <laughs> God told me this morning, he said, you're going to be speaking to some people that I have been calling into some things. He said, but they can't come because they will not let go of people. They will not release relationships that they have made themselves accountable for. And as long as their hands are on them, my hand can't be on them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. See, one of the most freeing revelations in this season is when you come to understand you cannot properly say hello to new things without effectively saying goodbye to some old things. Some of you relationally are drained. Do you know why? Because you're playing Savior. You think that that person cannot become all that God has called them to become as long as you're absent from their life. Can I submit to you that what you are doing is playing little G God and you're saying, oh, we're going to come for it this morning. What you're saying is God is not a way maker, that God is not a reformer, that God is not a reviver, that, it is, that you got to be in their life. Mama, listen to me. Some of you need to cut the apron string on that son and on that daughter so they can really get free. Oh, wives, listen to me. Some of you have been carrying your dead husband and you need to let him go and let God have him. I didn't say divorce him. But as long as you're carrying him, you are enabling him and your hands are so much over him, God can't put his hand on him. Oh yeah, you're going to get free this morning. Because what you're saying is, no, God, I got it. I'm in control. And God is shouting back, Jeremiah 29, 11, I got the plans for him. Not you. What we're saying is, God, let me drive. God says, bet. But I got the map. Some of you have people in your life that you feel stuck with. It's quiet in the house of the Lord. We down here at the first Methodist Presbyterian Lutheran. It's real quiet in the house of the Lord. 
the preacher is standing on your feet this morning. But you would think he's standing on your mouth because you ain't got nothing to say. Some of you feel stuck. I said some of you feel stuck with some people because you feel like that they are that if you are not in your life, that if they are not in your life, watch this, that their life will fall apart. Can I tell you, quit playing Savior. Quit thinking that you're God. Oh, I'm coming against that spirit of control this morning. Quit. Quit thinking that if you are not in their life, that God cannot do something with their life. Maybe the reason God can't do something with their life is because you are so entangled in their life, you're messing it up. See, some of y'all got Jonas in your boat. You, you want me to tell you about the story of Jonah? Jonah is going, he's called to Nineveh. He's called to go preach repentance to Nineveh. But we find a real funny part of the story that the Bible says, and Jonah went to Tarshish. And here's the amazing part. Woo, I'm going to preach just a minute here. Here's the amazing part. Jonah goes to Tarshish, and he gets on a boat, and he pays to get there. And some of you have allowed people on your boat just because they got the money to get there. Some of you allowed people on your boat just because they looked like they were bought into your vision, bought into your journey, bought into your relationships. But what you don't know is when you got the wrong person on your boat. See, the Bible says that as the ship was going, a storm, a squall began to arise. Watch this, watch this. The Bible says that as it arose, the ship began to sink and the waves began to crash. And the Bible says this, that the men began to throw precious cargo overboard. Some of you have lost things that were precious to you because you refused to cut off the people that were killing you. Some of you lost your joy. Some of you lost your peace. Some of you lost your faith. Some of you lost things in your life. You lost precious cargo all because you would not tell the wrong people where to go and how to get there. It's amazing though. The story continues that the men, they throw lots and they fall on Jonah. And when they fall on Jonah, all of a sudden, he says... Throw me overboard. They throw him overboard instantly, the Bible says. The winds and waves cease. What am I telling you? Some of you have got to cut the control off of people's life in your life that is sinking your ship. You swear that you need to be in control so bad that you are okay with the chaos that they bring into your life. Your ship is sinking and you swear that you want them with you. The greatest thing you can utter in this season is goodbye. You got to go. You got to go. You are sinking the ship. I'm losing Precious cargo. David had to leave his family. It's amazing to me that David was anointed king in front of his family, but watch this. But he couldn't serve as king until he said goodbye to the people that only knew him as David. Some of y'all, your greatest problem is in the fact 
that you've been anointed for a higher calling. God's called you to some greater depths. But as long as you continue to surround yourself with people that all they can remind you of is your past. All they can remind you about is where you've been. All they can remind you about is everything you've been through. All they can remind you about is everything you've done wrong. Until you get rid of those people, you'll never be seen as king. David had to get out of, he had to lose control of even the people that he was around. The third thing I'm going to give you, we got to hurry. I know, I know, I know y'all ready to go. The third thing that he had to lose control of was places. Places. Until you get control out of places, you'll never truly put God in control until you're willing to walk away from some places. David is anointed king and he's sent for by King Saul to come play his harp, but not knowing that this, King Saul, as, he, as they send for David to come play the harp, King Saul has no idea that this is his predecessor. David is brought into the, to the throne room of the king and begins to play the harp. And the Bible says basically to soothe the demons that were tormenting Saul because God had lifted his hand from him. See, Saul was still king, but God had fired him. That's a message in itself. One of the most dangerous places to be is to think you're employed by, by God only to find out you're doing volunteer work. David is called into the courts of king. He is playing the harp. He's playing the harp. He's playing the harp. He's playing the harp. While many would get focused on the fact that David is playing the harp, I will tell you this, that I don't believe the significance was in David playing the harp. I believe the significance was as God was changing David's foot. He was changing his footing because he was changing his calling. And God was preparing David for the throne room by placing him in it. He had to get him out of his father's living room and put him in the throne room. Listen to me. Some of you will never see God in complete control until you allow him to move your footing from where you are to where he is calling you. And sometimes where God is calling you is exactly where he wants you to be. Some of you wondered, why am I feeling called here? Why am I showing up here? Why am I in this ministry? Why am I being a part of this? Why am I serving here? Why am I doing this? Because maybe God is positioning you. He is getting you in the room with the verbiage and the vocabulary. He's wanting you not to be a shepherd boy anymore, but to start to realize you are called. You're anointed. You're called to rule. You're called to lead. You're called to be powerful. And, and you're called to do great exploits for the Lord. And God's got to get you away from the familiar spirits. You ready? Brooke, you can come on. I'm done. There are six things that i got to preach really quick that when you get out of control, these are six things that happen. I'm taking them straight from Psalms 23. The first one, Psalms 23, verse 1 through 2, The Lord is my shepherd, and I will lack no thing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. You ready? The first thing that happens when you get out of control is the lack attack ends. Some of you have been season, in a season of lack. You've been in a season of frustration because you feel like you just can't get enough. It seems like you're living paycheck to paycheck. Ends are not meeting, and you're frustrated. Can I propose to you today maybe the very reason why you're in a lack of attack is because you're in an overwhelming sense of control. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. The moment that he realized God was in control, he said this word. I will lack for nothing. Why? Because God is in control. The second thing that happens when we allow 
and relinquish complete control to God. As Psalms 23 and 3 says that he refreshes my soul and he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. The second thing that happens when we let go of control is there becomes a refreshing of your soul. I've seen a Facebook post floating around recently that says, I want to be healed. I want to be set free. I don't want to be mean anymore. Something along those lines. And it's basically a post of somebody that's gotten a lot of shares of people that are basically, what they don't realize they're crying out for is deliverance. They're saying, I'm tired of being mean. I'm tired. I want my joy back. I want my peace back. Can I tell you that until you get out of control, you won't experience the refreshing of the Lord. There is a refreshing that only Jesus can bring in your life. Man can't do it. A job can't do it. Listen, you're talking to a guy that I've been in the executive ladder. I've been in, in, in the presidential suites. I've been flown into Mexico on, on just elaborate vacations, all because of the title that was before my name in the corporate world. Listen to me, though. None of that is fulfilling. None of that brings refreshing. That refreshing is but for a moment, but your soul will come out and you'll be longing for more. Can I propose to you today? You can make six-figure salaries. I've done it. And you still leave there saying, there's got to be more to life what did David say when I lose control he refreshes my soul the third thing that happens when we lose control and the Lord is our shepherd is verse 4 says even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil for you are with me and your rod and they staff that comfort me the third thing that happens watch this when you lose control, there is a reassurance in troubled times. When you're out of control, it doesn't mean that everything goes perfect. I love that what David said in Psalms 23, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Notice this. David didn't say when I get near the valley of the shadow of death. David didn't say when I stand on the cliff of the valley of the shadow of death. David didn't say when I jump over the valley of the shadow of death. David said when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. What is he saying? Because I'm out of control and you're in control, though I get in trouble times, you are with me. When we relinquish control, it's not saying that tough times won't come. It's saying that when you're out of control and tough times come, God is with you. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that we find when we lose control. Psalms 23, verse 5, just the first part. says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As I prayed into this, there's something that I realize that when we lose control and we give God control, there is a reclaiming of forfeited ground. Some of you have lost ground spiritually. The enemy's come in, he's set up shop, he's attacked, he's destroyed, he's taken from you. Some of you today feel discouraged, depleted, and depressed all because of the attack of the enemy on your life. And God is saying, if you will just relinquish control, if you'll let me be God, I will reclaim territories that you have forfeited but watch this he didn't just say I'm just gonna reclaim them he said I'm gonna prepare a table for you 
In other words, I'm going to bring you back to the exact place where the enemy attacked you. And I'm going to set up a table. I'm going to allow you to feast and not fight this time. You're going to, you're going to feast. And while you're feasting, your enemy's going to have to sit there and watch you eat. What, what, what am I saying? Have any of you ever been in a place where your nerves are so shy that you were going to eat and all of a sudden you say these words, I lost my appetite? God said, I'm anointing you in this season. When you give me control, you're going to get your appetite back. You're going to be able to sit in the presence of the thing that hurt you, that disappointed you, that discouraged you, that left you saying, I'm done, and I'm going to make you eat. You're going to eat right in front of them. When you put God in control, he reclaims. He reclaims forfeited ground. The fifth thing that happens, watch this. Psalms 23 and verse 5, when we put God in control, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 5, part B, says this, that you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. 23, verse 5, part B, says you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. There's actually a picture I want to show you. Because David was talking about something there that a lot of us, we think of it as maybe Samuel that poured oil over his head. But you've got to understand something. David was a shepherd. He understood sheep. And so can y'all show him this picture? Actually, what David was referencing when he said, you anoint my head with oil, was this right here. Can y'all show him the picture, please? Thank you. This is a common act of shepherding. That a shepherd would take the sheep and he would take a ram or a horn of oil and he would pour oil over the sheep's head because sheep were known to get in the briars and when they got in the briars, their head would get stuck. But the shepherd anointed their head with oil so that they couldn't get stuck. Pastor Jason, come here real quick. Come here. Because i got to tell you this point right here. Come on, when you let God be in control, God said this, when you let him be in control, he is retracting you from some stuck places. Grab my arm. Hold on to me. Hold on to me. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. See that? I'm stuck. He's got me. You ready? He anoints my head with oil. Grab me now. Grab me now. Grab me now. Come on, grab me now. Grab me now. Hold me. Don't let me go. Grab me now. Don't let me. He anoints my head with oil. He anoints my head. When you put God in control, God said, I'm bringing you out of some stuck places. The sixth thing, and I'm done. I promise the sixth thing, and I'm done. That when we put God in control, Psalms 23 and verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God said this, When you put me in control, I am redirecting your destiny. Watch this. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. And then he ends Psalms 23 with these words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever not for a summer not for a couple months not for a couple weeks not for a couple years but he said I shall dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. Stand with me all over the house. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, get out of control. Get rid of this fascination of thinking that you have to be control, in control of every area of your life. There is freedom when you relinquish control and say, okay, God, you got me. Exodus 14, I know y'all don't have the scripture, but I just want to share with you a little bit about it as we get ready to close out. Exodus 14, Moses has gone in and he has called his people, God's people out. He came into Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And as he comes in and gets them, they're leaving. And we find in Exodus 14 that indeed the Lord is a shepherd. Because the Bible says that he became a cloud by day and a fire by night. That he was leading his people in, by the cloud by day and the fire by night. But here's the problem. That is, God is in the midst of redirecting destinies because Israel is reclaiming control. Or, 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 or they are exiting the control of Egypt and giving control back to the great I am. God begins to redirect destinies. But here's the problem. You ready? They're standing in the midst of their exodus. And before them is a Red Sea. And behind them is their enemy. The Bible says that Pharaoh and his chariots were coming. And we find this moment in Exodus 14 where Moses is looking and just beyond this obstacle is a plain of promise. Just beyond this obstacle is the fulfillment of freedom. Just beyond this obstacle is the fruition of the prophetic word that God has spoke to him in the desert. But behind him is the rumbling of the chariot's wheels. Behind him is the clatter of Pharaoh's horses. Behind him is the clanging of the soldier's army. And here is Moses looking forward, looking back, looking forward, looking back, looking forward, looking back. And God says this to Moses. He says, Moses, stand still. Stretch forth your hand and see the salvation of the Lord. What did he say? Moses, get out of control. Moses stretched forth his hand and as he does, there's a rumbling from the sea. The Red Sea at that part, which is the most shallow part of the Red Sea, 900 feet deep. They have found chariot wheels buried in the bottom of the Red Sea. They have found, this is not a fairy tale book. It is backed up by history and artifact. There in that moment of a 900 foot deep, the ocean rolls back and all of a sudden, God says, forward, march. And the Bible says that they began to walk through on dry ground. But watch this. As they begin to get to the horizon of where they're going to be, there's one more looking back. God says, look for the enemy you see today. You will see no more. And all of a sudden, the Red Sea comes clashing back in. And the Bible tells us that the horses and chariots were washed away. And, and Moses' sister begins to sing a song. Praise to God, who both horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. She sings a song of deliverance. Watch this. Sometimes, for us to say hello, we got to learn the power of goodbye sometimes for us to move into what God has called us to 
We have to relinquish control of all we've ever known. Sometimes, in order for Red Seas to part, we have to stand still and trust God in the moment. Moses was a leader, but in this moment, God would be the shepherd. So today, as we close, there are people all over this room, and your greatest battle is not the devil. Your greatest battle is your inability to relinquish control. God is asking you today to say these words. God, I'm out of control. I don't want to be in control anymore. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That he has taken this treasure and hidden it in vessels of clay. He has taken this, this treasure and hidden it in earthen vessels. You're here today. And if the truth be told, you love all the promises. You love the fact of reclaiming territory. You love the fact of God redirecting destinies. But the truth is, is you'll never arrive there until you can say Psalms 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd. If you're here today, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you'd say, preacher, I need to be out of control. I need to be out of control. Will you slip your hand up just so I can see you lifted up high? Thank you. Come on. Lift them up high all over this room. Lift them up high. Keep them up. One, two, three. Come on. Lift them up. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Come on. Lift them up. I need to be out of control. I need to be out of control. I need to be out of control. God, I don't want to be in control. God, I'm going to trust you. God, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge you and you will direct my steps. You ready? This is what we're going to do. If you just raise your hand and you're saying, God, I'm surrendering control. Some of you today are coming to this altar and you're going to give your heart to Jesus. You're going to make it real. You're going to make this relationship real. Pastors are going to pray with you and they're going to lead you and talk to you about the power, the saving power of a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. It was the great exchange of his righteousness for your filth and it was the great exchange of his love for your hatred and it was that moment that God would wash away all of your sins. And then there's some of you that you're saved, you're called, but you cannot relinquish control. And today when you come, God is going to break that spirit of control off your life. And you're going to get in the back seat. And you're just going to say, drive, God, drive. I trust you. You're here this morning. You just raised your hand. This is what I want you to do. If you're one of those 17 that just raised your hand, I want you to do this. Sometimes in order for us to say hello to the horizons, we got to say goodbye to everything that's been holding us. See, in this moment of Exodus 14, God is about to destroy four, he's about to destroy 400 years of bondage. And so in the destruction of it, God's saying, I'm gonna make you say goodbye to it so you never turn around and have to say hello to it again. This is what I want you to do. If you're one of those 17, I simply want you to do this. I want you to turn around before you come to this altar. I want you to say this, goodbye. And then I want you to walk to the solder. Ready? One, two, three. Say goodbye. Say goodbye. Come on. Come, 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 come. You're saying goodbye. Goodbye, pain. Goodbye, hurt. Goodbye, failure. Goodbye, disappointment. Goodbye. 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 Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. God is redirecting destinies. Come on.